Welcome to The Body Nerd Show. I'm your host, Alexandra Ellis, and after a decade in the fitness industry, I've finally cracked the code on how you can build sustainable strength without getting hurt. I'm a coach, writer, yogi, kettlebell devotee, lover of lifting heavy things, and 100% a body nerd. So stick with me, and I'll teach you how to make body maintenance and movement mastery a fundamental part of your wellness routine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back. You're listening to episode 127 of The Body Nerd Show. On today's episode, I'm joined by physical therapist Stephanie Prendergast, and we're sharing why you might not actually need to do kegels, when you should see a pelvic floor PT, and how to find a pelvic health physical therapist in your area. Stephanie Prendergast is the co-founder of the Pelvic Health and Rehabilitation Center, which opened up in San Francisco in 2006 and now has locations all over. She comes to us by way of our other favorite PT, Dr. Sarah Court, and I'm really excited for our conversation today for a number of reasons. First of all, pelvic pain is so misunderstood and underdiagnosed. In fact, it wasn't until reading some of her posts on Instagram that I realized my own ongoing hip pain could be helped by pelvic floor PT. And I was like, well, hot damn, I guess this is something we need to be talking about because we can do better for ourselves, right? I'm really happy to be able to bring this conversation to you and even more excited that it's with someone who is as passionate about the body as I am and I know that you are too. And before you start to think, okay, but pelvic floor, that's only for people who are pregnant, right? No, pelvic health is for anyone with a pelvis. And by the way, that is all of us, right? Whether or not you have female anatomy or male anatomy, if you have a pelvis, there are muscles there, you have a pelvic floor. And while the issues that may come up might be different, trust me, you're gonna wanna listen to today's episode. Stephanie has also authored numerous publications in peer-reviewed journals and textbooks, and she regularly lectures at medical conferences and in the community on pelvic health-related topics, so she seriously is the person to be talking to. And along with her business partner, Liz Atkins-Lar, they've developed the first continuing education course on the topic of pudendal neuralgia and co-authored the popular book, Pelvic Pain Explained. So enjoy my conversation with Stephanie Prendergast. All right, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I'm so excited to dive into pelvic floor health and all of that. But before we get into that, uh, what do you like to get nerdy about? So obviously I like to get nerdy about pelvic floor health, but also the role that pelvic floor physical therapists can play for people throughout their lifespan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And pelvic floor health, I think it's you know, people don't think about it as like the go-to, but if you have like hips or a pelvis or lower back pain or any of that, like that's so important to also be working with a pelvic floor physical therapist. So mm -hmm. I had the opportunity when I was working right out of college in a physical therapy clinic that one of our therapists was a pelvic floor PT. So right out the gate, you know, I talked to friends, I have a friend who just had a baby and she's like, oh, maybe I should. I'm like, no, no, you absolutely should get some extra help. So is it just women who need pelvic floor PT or who can you help? We can basically help anyone with a pelvis who is having 
a sort of disorder. And sometimes people present with severe symptoms and clearly pelvic floor diagnoses that will lead them directly to a pelvic floor PT. Other times the pelvic floor may be involved as an impairment contributing to their back pain, to their hip pain, to sacroiliac joint pain. So sometimes it's kind of hidden in the background and people may or may not be thinking about it. And you probably have addressed this at some point. I have no idea how orthopedic PT and pelvic PT became so separate. Um, But a lot of ortho PTs don't know how to screen for pelvic floor disorders. And some pelvic floor PTs don't effectively address the orthopedic side of things because maybe they specialized right out of school. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to have these conversations and kind of bring our field together to better support our patients and what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Well, and I feel like the general um, like blanket advice is like, oh, just do some Kegels and like, you'll be fine. (laughs) Your face is like (laughs) all the proof. Right. It is not just about doing Kegels, but it is a term that people probably may be the most familiar with when they're thinking about pelvic floor disorders. Mm -hmm. We launch into Kegels and pelvic floor exercise, who it's important for, who it's not, because these things are, are actually quite different. Um, In the past week, something kind of novel happened for the field of pelvic health, where a a large study came out and the BBC posted it, where they would like to bring pelvic floor education into schools starting at the age of 12 in specifically the female population. Mm -hmm. Now, that sounds very exciting because all of us who have been working in this field know that pelvic floor disorders can start as early as childhood with pediatric bedwetting and constipation are two hallmark signs that there could be problems with adult pelvic floor dysfunction later in life. Oh, wow. And so really getting to the early intervention, these are things that we can easily look for. The education piece would be incredibly huge. However, Mm -hmm. the study went on to say that maybe actually, it should be incorporated into physical education that teenage girls are actually doing Kegel exercises. (laughs) And this raised as much of an alarm in me as the excitement of seeing something as huge as pelvic floor education being in schools. Mm -hmm. The reason this raised alarm is because there's two subsets of pelvic floor dysfunction. There's a subset of patients who have tight muscles, and these are more commonly associated with pelvic pain syndromes that we can talk about. And then there's another subset of people that have weak pelvic floors. And these tend to be more associated with things like stress incontinence, prolapse, and some of the back pain, hip pain, orthopedic type issues that are associated with injuries in those populations. And some people are absolutely a mix of both. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, the pelvic floor is different than any other part of the body because it is innervated by a nerve that has autonomic properties, which mean it's functioning totally on its own without us thinking about it. Now, we have the ability to override that function, for example, when we're in an appropriate place, we can urinate or we can have a bowel movement, but we also have the ability to hold it if we need to. And so, therefore, the pelvic floor muscles never get a break and they're always active. Mm. So, in addition to urinary and bowel function, they're also obviously tied to our sexual function and they support our core. So under normal circumstances with no risk factors, these muscles actually don't need to be strengthened until certain life milestones happen that would make them weak. So to go back to childhood education around these issues, teenagers are going to be more likely to have tight pelvic floor muscles versus weak muscles. 
If they're encouraged to actually strengthen them, we can lead into pelvic pain syndromes that are actually kind of difficult to treat, mostly because there's a lack of resources and education, and it could actually completely backfire and harm these little girls. So we want to actually understand the physiology of the pelvic floor and when there's going to be situations where it's tight and when it's weak. So situations where the weakness can happen, there's multiple risk factors. This involves higher BMIs because of the extra weight on a body, putting a lot of strain through the pelvic floor muscles where they have to try to contract to support the weight. A lot of times that can't happen. If there's been a long history of chronic constipation, the muscles can lengthen and weaken over time. Mm. The biggest and most common thing we think of is pregnancy and childbirth. Right is a number one risk factor for pelvic floor disorders and pelvic organ prolapse later in life. And so when we look at the, the different subsets, the pain syndromes are more associated with things like painful sex, urinary urgency and frequency, and genital pain in the absence of infections, diseases such as endometriosis, where young women may be getting a very painful period every month, as a result of that noxious stimuli, our pelvic floor and pelvic girdle muscles can contract in response to that in a protective way that eventually they themselves become a source of pain. There's other things that can happen in our teenage years, such as treatment for endometriosis. Everybody's given the birth control pill in our country. Mm -hmm. Oh, you got your period. Here's the pill. Oh, it hurts. Here's the pill. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you're just bleeding a little too heavy, but it doesn't hurt. Here's the pill. Mm -hmm. What most people also don't realize is oral birth control pills are one of the leading causes of hormonally mediated vestibulodynia, which is the leading cause of painful sex. Oh, wow. Right. And so a lot of times people are not counseled that that can happen. And if there starts to be compromise from medications, from disease process, or just from our muscles mechanically getting too tight, people can get the whole host of symptoms that I just mentioned in terms of urinary, bowel, sexual function, and pelvic pain. Yeah. I mean, I think even like from a period standpoint that you could have a not painful period is something I think people don't even realize that as women also, I feel like we put up with so much because we think like, oh, this is just like the way it has to be. So, so many things that you just laid out, I'm like, oh, you mean that's not normal too? Like, oh my gosh, there's so, so many things that pelvic floor PT can be helpful for. And we've normalized pain mm -hmm. and that is a huge problem. And this isn't just women either. So mm -hmm. we haven't really talked about our male's counterparts yet but they also have the pelvic floor and are subject to the same types of disorders that span from either tight and painful pelvic floor muscles. That's gonna involve the same urinary urgency, frequency, hesitancy. They may have post-ejaculatory pain, perineal pain, pain in the penis, the scrotum, and the anus. And they are almost always misdiagnosed with prostatitis. Now, what gets tricky with our male patients is they screening for a prostate infection, like a true prostate infection is actually quite difficult. Women go to the doctor, we give a urine sample, we have a vaginal swab overdone, we're going to know if we have an infection or not. For men to actually get tested for a true prostate infection, it involves initially a urine stream, milking the prostate, ejaculation, and then another urine sample. Oh, which man. It's called the four glass test. It can easily take 15 to 20 minutes. 
So therefore, most urologists are not subjecting men to that exam and they're just told they have prostatitis. Here's your antibiotics. Go on your way. Mm -hmm. But what actually happens is there's analgesics in the antibiotics, which can give men the false impression that it's actually working for their infection because they may start to feel better. And then they stop taking the antibiotic. They feel worse. They think they have an infection again. In actuality, it maybe was never an infection in the first place. Studies show that 97% of the visits to the urologist for prostatitis are actually pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. Wow. These aren't small numbers. No. But this is every man's story who develops this. They are usually giving antibiotics at least once or twice. And we also know from a physical therapy perspective, that can cause muscle tearing and all kinds of other issues, especially with longer term use of the broad spectrum antibiotics like Cipro. And so then in addition to their pelvic pain, we have other tendinopathies and other peripheral neuropathies in some cases that are showing up because they've been on courses of antibiotics over and over and over again. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, how do you not just like scream from the rooftops all day, every day that like people need this? I just, oh my God. We do. And we can get into like quick little screenings that if people listening suspect they may have a pelvic floor disorder, there are certain things that they can look out for. Because the other thing that that's concerning now is I've really seen a split. I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, I'd say in the last five years, we do have a handful of experts across the country to deal with any type of pelvic pain disorder. Um, but the general urologist and gynecologist is still mostly in the dark. And mm-hmm. so you may go to five urologists and no one is ever even going to say the four glass test to you or mention any of the things that I just said. And your gynecologist may tell you something like vulvodynia or painful sex has no cause. You have to deal with it the rest of your life. And maybe an antibiotic will help or an antidepressant. So it's kind of people really need to pick and choose who they're going to see because a lot of people get the information now on their own. And it may behoove them to go to an expert if the regular gyne, PCP, or uh, urologist isn't as familiar with the symptoms as they may be after reading about it. Yeah. I mean, I think that'd be super helpful because there's like Google where you end up at like Dr. Google and you have cancer. (laughs) And then there's just like fully trusting whatever your provider gives you. And like you said, they might not just have this level of experience in this field. So yeah, what would be some screenings that someone could do? So we can start with some of the urinary issues. So most people, when you urinate, you should be able to start your stream within five seconds. If you can't, and you're somebody who thinks you have a shy bladder, that may be a sign that your muscles are actually too tight to allow a full relaxation to start the void. So urination should be able to be easily initiated. Your stream should actually last 20 seconds. Mm. which is mind blowing to some people. I know, uh, I'm you set a timer. <laughs> right. And you shouldn't urinate more than six to eight times in a 24 hour period. So if you're someone who feels like they have to go to the bathroom every time, every hour, let's say, and your urinary stream is lasting maybe under 10 seconds, or it's a little hard to start the stream, like that's not normal, but that may not drive you to the doctor, but you pair it with some of these other symptoms and you will start to see that most people have had little signs along the way that they just didn't know was abnormal. Mm -hmm. So it should never burn before, after, or during urination. And while we immediately think of a UTI, some of the hormonally mediated causes of the stibulodynia from the pill um, and some other inflammatory, but not infectious causes can make those symptoms happen. So if you're burning 
that's never normal. One of the most frustrating things about recovering from injuries or surgery is not being able to work out and losing muscle mass because of it. You can't work out because it hurts, but it feels like you're taking three steps back with your strength. Luckily, I found a product that not only helps to maintain muscle mass, but also helps to reduce inflammation so you can recover faster. And did I mention it's 100% backed by science? It's called Heal by The Amino Company, and a recent clinical trial compared the use of Heal with other high-quality whey proteins. And the researchers found that Heal was three times more efficient at triggering muscle growth and repair than any other protein source. So if you're looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to healing and recovery, you definitely need to give Heal a try. Heal's essential amino acid blend tastes delicious and will take your recovery to the next level. And right now, you can get 30% off your first order when you visit aewellness.com slash amino and use the code bodynerd at checkout. That's aewellness.com slash A-M-I-N-O and use the code bodynerd at checkout. All right, let's get back to the show. If we look at sex, sex should never hurt. It should not hurt to orgasm. We shouldn't have, men should not have post-ejaculatory pain. There shouldn't even be a little bit of burning or any pain with deeper insertion in women. If sex is even slightly uncomfortable, that's probably a sign that it may be the beginning of one of these disorders. With our male patients, sometimes they'll notice when they do exercises and various things like that, it may hurt to sit afterwards, or they may notice that after they work out, this can be the case in women too, you do need to urinate every 20 to 30 minutes. And then that stops again, the further you get away from exercise. Mm. That should not happen in response to exercise. We shouldn't have genital pain in response to exercise. Sitting should be comfortable. Bowel movement should be fairly easy to evacuate. We should be able to sit and relax our muscles and then there should be an easily passed stool. If that's not the case, if people feel like they need to really strain and push and more often than not, they're doing that, that can also be a sign that the pelvic floor muscles are tight. Now on the weak side, we've also normalized incontinence after birth and feelings of pelvic organ prolapse. If you're not so severe, you need surgery. So in women who've given birth and who are entering perimenopause, I think everybody should have a pelvic floor exam. These issues are very, very common. Of course, look at what birth looks like. And as we get closer to perimenopause and menopause, we're naturally losing our hormones that help keep us strong. And we probably have the risk factors of pregnancies behind us. And so in those situations, it's also worthwhile to seek out the care of a PT. Mm In certain surgical situations, such as hysterectomy, pelvic organ prolapse repair, and prostatectomy in men, there also should be rehab. We do more extensive rehab after an ankle sprain than we do after these major pelvic surgeries. And then so wonder why people are suffering. Yes, yes. I do want to scream more days than not. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. And the symptoms that you get after these surgeries are serious. It can mm-hmm. be incontinence, severe pain. Men have erectile dysfunction. These are things that are going to drastically affect your quality of life. Yet pelvic floor PT is not regularly offered following these procedures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many people don't even know it exists. Right. And when people start Googling their symptoms, they find us on their own. And we hear all the time, why didn't someone tell me? Yeah. I was looking on your social media and there was, you know, like a carousel post about like, you know, if you have any of these, you might want to see a pelvic floor PT. And one of them was like persistent hip pain. And I was just like, 
oh no. And this goes back to your point too of primary care providers just like not knowing. So I had an IUD implanted and then I had it taken out after about six months because I just had ongoing hip pain. And even when they took it out, they're like, oh, there's no way that could have happened. I was like, I know what I'm feeling. I know what's going on. And now I'm like 18 months after, and I'm still dealing with pelvic floor and hip stuff Mm -hmm. that's going on. So I'm grateful that you're close by uh, to make an appointment. But I think even something like that, like if you're listening to all of these things, you're like, oh no, that doesn't apply to me. The hips and the pelvis are so closely intertwined. Like it's all connected. There's no reason not to at least make an appointment and go talk with you. And especially if you have had other bouts of therapy and you're just not improving for some reason, like in my mind, there's always a reason why people are not getting better. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just out of the provider scope of knowledge. If you haven't been exposed to these things, how would, how would they know? But from the pelvic health world, seeing those studies come out that show time and time again, it's like over 90% of people have a degree of pelvic floor dysfunction with hip pain and back pain they're part of the pelvic floor muscles. So the external rotators of the hip, as we know, are so many culprits and runners and whatnot. Those are pelvic floor muscles, the piriformis and the obturator internus. Well, what I would say that I see as one of the biggest mistakes is people want to strengthen the pelvic girdle muscles. And sometimes they're doing that before the pelvic floor muscles are ready. Mm -hmm. So we would normally like to see the pelvic floor muscles be able to fully relax and the person who owns the pelvic floor to be able to squeeze and not have the muscles stay in a contracted state. Mm-hmm. So the well-intended exercises for low back pain and pelvic girdle pain actually really exacerbate tight pelvic floor muscles. These are the clams and anything that increases somebody's intra-abdominal pressure, um, squatting, lunging. Sometimes the pelvic floor cannot do those things until, again, they're at a normal length which will really impair our lumbo-pelvic hip mechanics and kind of screw up someone's treatment plan. You would find that there's a, there's a strategy and a sequence that I really think makes sense. And with our fields being so separate, sometimes these things just get totally missed. Yeah. Yeah. So is there like an easy, for someone listening, an easy way to even just like allow their pelvic floor to get that relaxation? It's always good for people to try to do a pelvic floor contraction and see Number one, if they can. Number two, does it stay stuck? Can they tell? Now, most people that we see, obviously everybody I see, has pelvic floor dysfunction. So the answer to that is almost always no. Um, Whether they're too tight or they're too weak, most people just can't access it because they're coming here specifically for pelvic floor. But in a setting like where you work, you can ask the patients, can they contract their pelvic floors? Can they feel it? If they really have a hard time and they answer yes to any of those symptoms that we talked about, it may be helpful to collaborate with a pelvic floor PT, get a screening, and then maybe it's going to take a few appointments of the pelvic floor PT to get back into the orthopedic setting. And that's really worked out nicely in our field because I don't personally carry out the orthopedic treatment plan. So I like to get people on their feet with their pelvic floor muscle functioning optimized and then collaborate with our colleagues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I mean, just solve the issue or at least, you know, get things like moving in the right direction. And then the body will like pick up from there and things will start to work better. I love Mm -hmm. that. So I know we touched a little bit on Kegels and why it's not 
the greatest, I guess you could say. So I'm just like, please tell me more. Why not? And why are they also so like broadly, just like everyone, like every magazine ever is like, just do cankles. It's fine. <laughs> right. Not even it's fine. It's going to give you a better orgasm. Right. Is it true if your muscles are too tight? <laughs> so again, we want to look at if let's, let's take the example though, that the muscles are actually truly weak and they're not functionally weak because they're shortened. If the muscles are truly weak, we don't want to exercise in isolation. It's not a functional activity. And so to do repetitive kegels or quick flicks, is that really going to help you better able support your body when you're really trying to do the exercise you want to do? Probably not. So we want to coordinate the pelvic floor muscle contraction with our breath and the, the core activation of our TBA. And that's really the better way to approach what I would call a pelvic floor muscle strengthening is as we inhale, our pelvic floor lengthens. As we exhale, it shortens. And so we can optimize our body function by getting our muscles trained that every time we exhale, it is giving you that contraction. And if you do that with the TVA, that starts to happen naturally. And then instead of having to do pelvic floor exercises, your pelvic floor is now working in the exercises you want to do. And that's really how we kind of look at it as the goal. And it doesn't have to be this big, complicated thing. And people do need to know how to use those muscles, which I think is the harder part, Mm -hmm. and then integrate them into the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am. Sarah, so Dr. Sarah Court has been on the show multiple times. She shared a talk that you had done with her membership with me before this. And there was something you mentioned, uh, like a child's pose to like, just get it in a lengthened state. And I, even for myself, the difference in what it feels like to engage through the pelvic floor in standing versus that I was like, Oh my gosh, I've been doing it wrong all along. Like it made a huge difference to be relaxed first. Yes. And again, you're look. I'm looking at you and you may be somebody who's on a little bit on the tighter side, especially in our profession. Um, so there are specific postures that we can use and, and PNF cues that we can help people with to help get them to reconnect with their pelvic floor. These muscles don't cross a joint. And so that's also why with the tighter end of the spectrum, a lot of the folks actually need to come in for manual therapy and neuromuscular re-education before they can start to do these exercises. Um, But to try to lengthen the pelvic floor, if you do get into child's pose or a really deep squat where your legs aren't active, you're putting your body weight through the pelvic floor. And it's also something with the increasing degrees of hip flexion, it lengthens your sit bones a little bit. And it's kind of the best lengthening that we can get without basically doing a manual therapy session. Mm -hmm. Mm. Do you have any, I'm just thinking like child's pose options. Like if people can't get that amount of like bend in their knee, is it the same if you're on your back and you just bring your knees up? It's not going to have the benefit of your body weight going through your body, but it's still going to lengthen things. So yes, that's a very good um, adjustment if somebody can't get into those positions. And while I'm suggesting them for pelvic floor lengthening exercises, I also want to mention that if somebody has pudendal neuralgia, which is basically like carpal tunnel of the butt is my (laughs) bad analogy. um, Some of these positions are completely not appropriate and they should be avoided. Right. And so if somebody has shooting, stabbing nerve pain in their pelvis, that's a different approach than just a tighter pelvic floor. Right. Well, and I think the pelvic floor, like with everything else, the blanket, like just do this and you'll be fine. Like it doesn't work because everyone is so unique and individual and your own history, like it all matters. 
Yes. Everybody's body's so different. <laughs> so different. So different. What's the best place to like find a provider like you in their area for someone listening now? I mean, can you just Google? Like what, what even is the term to Google to find someone who does what you do? Well, now things have changed a lot. So pelvic floor physical therapy will usually get you to somebody who has experience. And then there's a few other data banks that we (laughs) usually refer people to in other zip codes if we don't know somebody. We love the pelvic guru site that has a directory of providers. The American Physical Therapy Association, their pelvic health section also has a provider directory, as well as Herman and Wallace is a continuing education company that teaches a lot of public floor classes in the United States. And anyone can be listed on those main three. And so that's also important to know is that anyone can list themselves. And so there is a range of experience and expertise within our field. A lot of people who are newer to the field have more experience, usually with postpartum, incontinence, prolapse. They may not have as much experience with pelvic pain. And so if somebody is dealing with pelvic pain, I do recommend seeking out somebody specifically that that's the majority of their practice because it's just very different, involves a lot of medical management with our colleagues and you know, again, depending on where you enter the treatment paradigm, we're not sure who's diagnosed you, if it was the right diagnosis, what meds have you been given, what procedures are scheduled. You know, sometimes we have to just come in and kind of reorganize the whole treatment plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember in the physical therapy clinic, a patient coming in and she was so young with pelvic pain. I just remember her story of how long, how many years it had been before she even ended up at a pelvic floor PT. I was just like, we are totally failing these people. And I mean, just, I feel like people in general with pelvic floors to not offer these resources as like a first stop, not the 10th stop after years and years of issues. Of antibiotics and spinal stimulators and just things that, yes, like should never have been introduced before the most conservative treatment. Mm -hmm. Anything else about pelvic floor health that you feel like if someone could take this and run with it, that they'd be 10 steps ahead of someone who didn't have it. The golden <laughs> nugget. What is it? <laughs> the golden nugget. Listen to your body. You're in a balanced sexual function. If things are changing, it's usually indicative that there may be something going on. I mean, that can be erectile changes, diminished orgasm. There's just so many things that are tied to the pelvic floor, including all the things that we discussed earlier, low back, hip and SI pain. So I recommend just reading up on it. We put out a lot of content as you and I discussed. So I think our blog is a good place to read a little more. It's categorized by diagnosis um, as well as on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and those types of places. Yeah. And I will link to all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. I know that this is going to be super helpful for everyone who listens to it. And like you made the point as well, like this isn't just something for postpartum women. This Mm -hmm. is for everybody with a pelvis. Everybody with a pelvis. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Where can people find more about you and your practices? I know you have multiple locations in California and outside of California, right? Mm -hmm. So we are the Pelvic Health and Rehab Center. We have four locations in the Bay Area, three in Southern California. I see patients in our LA office um, and we are hiring in LA (laughs) if anyone listening is interested in talking to us further. Um, And then we have an office in New Hampshire and in Lexington, Massachusetts. Wow. 
That's awesome. And we offer a very comprehensive training program. So our ideal candidate is someone who's interested in pelvic floor, but has been working in orthopedics for a few years. Oh, I mean, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, how, yeah. When do you sleep with all these (laughs) locations and work? My goodness. We, we have an amazing company with a lot of support. So as you can see, I mean, this is something that people need to be passionate about to work here. And so I just, I feel very blessed with the team that we have now in between our administrative team up through our clinical managers. Everybody's really hands-on with the things that you see that we put out. People write the blogs, they do the presentations, and we kind of all come together with our different areas of interest within public health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so awesome. And definitely, I mean, I'm going to link again to social and everything. There's so many resources that you guys put out there that are super informative and educational and entertaining as well. But thank you again for taking the time. I so appreciate you and all of the awesome work that you're doing in the world. Thanks, Alex. I mean, what did I tell you? Is your mind just blown about pelvic health? Or are you just like, wait, what? I know that, you know, Sometimes it can be frustrating to feel like you have to have a specialist for all of these things and there's no one person to help them all. But if you have exhausted your you know, current offerings that you have, whether it's going to physical therapy or acupuncture or chiropractor or whatever, that next best step for you may be pelvic health. So definitely follow up in your area. See if you can find someone. You can check out Stephanie's resources at their website or reach out. You know where you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Halafamala and the Pelvic Health and Rehabilitation Center is at Pelvic Health. And also let us know what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode. What was a thing that stopped you in your tracks and you texted your bestie and you're like, oh my gosh, did you know this? Like take a screenshot of that, tag us, send me a DM, send her a DM. Let us know what this episode helped you realize and what that next best step for you is. Plus, if you have any questions, again, you can send them to me on Instagram. You can reach out to Stephanie directly, or you can call the Body Nerd Hotline at 818-396-6501. Before I go, don't forget that show notes, fun links, free downloads, the Body Nerds group, and all things podcast related live over at aewellness.com slash podcast. And you know the drill, and I'm going to say it once, and I'll say it again week after week. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't done so already. Review on whatever platform you're listening to or share this episode with someone who needs to learn about public health or who has expressed a desire to learn. Right? Sharing is caring. So here's to asking better questions, moving more, being smarter with our pelvic health, and getting nerdy. And thank you for helping me spread the word that your body is super cool and that you, my friend, can change the unchangeable. I'll talk to you next week. Pain stops you in your tracks and body work is one of the fastest and most effective ways to deal with it. I've put together a free PDF with the six places you need to roll right now for quick relief. Plus, the reason why what you've tried so far has only given you a temporary fix. So whether it's back pain, plantar fasciitis, neck tension, shoulder pain, or tight hips, I've got you covered. And when you download it now, I'll also send you some video demos to get you started even faster. Head on over to aewellness.com slash bodywork, that's B-O-D-Y-W-O-R-K, to get started today.